Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that says one of the biggest decisions that men have to make in the summertime is cargo shorts or cargo shorts. It's Dale. You're damn right. Yeah. Every day, all day. Cargo shorts. Cargo shorts. It's like the utility belt for just us regular guys. Yeah, you're damn right. You can put all your stuff in there. Well, you know, it, it beats carrying around a 50-pound purse, don't it? It does. <laughs> I thought to my wife the other day, I said, it's kind of funny. I got this and pulled out my wallet, and you got this thing that's breaking your damn shoulder. Well, you got to carry so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> just put your stuff in your cargo shorts. Yeah, she's like, I guess since you got 18 pockets, <laughs> you don't need the wallet. It, it equals out about the same, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Then you have to go home and get it all out before it goes through the wash. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a good. No, uh-uh. no, that's not good. <laughs> that's not a good. What's going on, dude? Same old, same old. Same old, same old stuff. Done got me sidetracked. I was about to do laundry. Were you really? No, just now because you took me to the laundry with my stuff in my britches. Okay. <laughs> okay, we don't want to talk about your stuff in your britches. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> Whoa, we need a... Anyway, let's get to it. You got any good shout-outs, dude? Anybody want to mention? Give a little applause for our good friend, Chris Wainick. Chris, you. thank you, bud. Thank you, man. He went over there and dropped a, a few bucks in the cash bucket. Get us some little gas money. He did. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think he added on a little message there that says, uh, use it for beer. Use it for beer. Yeah. What a pal. He is. He's a great pal. He's a great <laughs> listener. And I think he really spreads the word about us. He, he's he's got, an ambassador. He really is. He is. Yeah. Telling you. Good dude. Give him the title of ambassador. Yeah. Ambassador. Ambassador. You got to say it fancy. Ambassador. Get your is, he, is he like the <laughs> our first ambassador? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. We'll just have, we'll have official, to, yes. Yeah, we'll have to title him. First official, for sure. Okay. I think we have a lot of ambassadors, actually, around yeah. the world and everywhere else, and we appreciate every damn one of them. Yes, we do, definitely. Because <laughs> if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be, well, we'd still be sitting here, but we'd be talking to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, nobody would listen to us. <laughs> and uh, we're just moving on because we're getting long-winded. Uh, we did have an incredible email to uh, crackhousechronicles uh, at gmail.com from new listener, Shannon Bell. And uh, she stated that uh, she doesn't do a whole lot of uh, social media but she just run across us somewhere and has been binging. found us on samsung on samsung yes, yes thank you sir and uh, she has been binging ever since yeah and sharing with all her friends and loved ones yes she has how cool is that thank you shannon thank very, you so much very appreciated yeah yeah we, mm. that's cool we don't get a whole lot of emails like that you know we get messages and stuff like yeah, that we get a lot of junk mail <laughs> okay. yeah all right, let's get going. But now. yeah, we get some emails and stuff. But yeah, that one that one sort of stuck out a little bit, you know, especially being a new fan and and listening to our stuff and binging. That that means a lot, man. Heck yeah, taking the time, to, taking the time to even drop a note and let us know, man. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, to like push some buttons and stuff, make letters pop up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So but, thanks a lot, Shannon. We really appreciate you. We appreciate you much. Other than that, Dale, we're gonna get going on this episode today. Okay, we have uh, some special stuff coming up today. Yeah, because you remember. Two weeks ago, we covered Karina Saunders. I do remember. Yeah. She was murdered in 2011 in Oklahoma City. And then last week, we covered the Oklahoma City Butcher. Yeah, because it was kind of connected in a way. Yes, it was. And we wanted to cover that and sort of tie some things together. And while we were doing research on that, we came across a lady on YouTube. Her name is Becky Long. Yes. And she had a a compelling video that just it just grabbed me and you yeah i ran across it and i'm like wow i had to send it to you send it to you and then me and my daughter sat there and then watched it and was like man this yeah. is this is intense and we were talking back back and forth and i was like 
dude, I've got to get a hold of this lady somehow or another, right? And, and get on her, her on our show and talk to her and find out what she's what she knows and um, just get her on here. Yeah, get her on here, really. <laughs> and so and we finally found a, a, a we, good link. Yeah, and yeah, we and um, we said out. at the end of our last episode that you know we're gonna try to find her and see who she is and get her on our show, and we left it hanging. And you reached out, and she reached back. And guess what? <laughs> What we got? What we got? We have her on the show tonight, and just let me give a little bit of background. Her name is Becky Long, and she is uh, the daughter of the serial killer, the Oklahoma City Butcher. She is also an advocate for survivors of childhood sexual abuse, exploitation, and trafficking, and the founder of risingstronger.org, which is a nonprofit organization, and it's dedicated to helping survivors of sexual abuse exploitation and trafficking and helping them heal and thrive man got to come in there right yes a lot of respect there so let me welcome becky long to the show welcome Hello. Becky. welcome thank becky. you thank you guys thanks for having me i appreciate it thank you for doing this and and answering my email yeah that's cool i'm really glad you reached out to me so i was kind of waiting for the right person to reach out to me so i kind of put my story out there um, Ta-da. Well, here we are yeah <laughs> yeah yep. and honestly i i didn't even want to put a video out um when everything came up with my dad i assumed i would turn everything over to the police and they would do their thing and i could move on with my life but that's not what happened so here i am well let's talk a little bit about you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you what you're doing now okay yeah um so like you said i'm becky i live in houston texas actually live in the woodlands which is just north of houston um i'm a consultant that's my job i do marketing consulting um own a small um, boutique consulting firm we work with companies in the energy industry um I have three kids and three dogs that's pretty much um my world right there um and um also um starting rising stronger the nonprofit you mentioned um based on my background i've spent a ton of money on trauma treatment and therapy and as i dug in and realized um there is a lack of the services for survivors and so i decided um this is this is my passion this is what i want to do is help others heal so that's awesome yeah awesome stuff so Thank what you. what got you into thinking that your dad was the Oklahoma City butcher? Let's go let's go back in time a little bit. Okay. Just yeah. Like, so tell your story. Yeah. Tell. Okay. Okay. That's where it gets um, interesting. Um, so grew up in Oklahoma City. Um, my parents were Linda and Daryl Long, and I have an older brother that's eighteen months older. Um, I don't remember. I didn't remember much of my childhood, and I kind of assumed that. I mean, I didn't really know why. I knew my dad was an alcoholic, drug addict, like all the things, right? And um, and so kind of just went on with life and got married very young, had three kids. And um, I did, you know, I did struggle with depression, anxiety, all those mental health issues. And um, when I had children, I became very, very, very fearful. Um, I homeschooled them. I couldn't leave them with, it, with anyone. Uh, looking back now, I can connect the dots and say, yeah, I know what was going on. Um, but then my dad passed away on September 27th and 20, 2017. Okay. And this is where my whole world changed. Um, I started developing symptoms of PTSD after that. And I wasn't necessarily connecting it to my dad's death. I didn't really understand what the hell was going on, honestly. And so 
um, slowly started developing symptoms of PTSD. Um, they escalated and it got severe. Um, I was pretty much struggling to function and survive. Um, I had, I was having what I would call collapse episodes where when I was triggered, I would just, I just couldn't function. I would sleep for days. Uh, it was so miserable. Um, couldn't take care of my kids. And as time went on, they just became longer and stronger. Um, I was going to doctor after doctor trying to figure out what was going on. I ended up having a brain scan. And I remember this psychologist looking at me and she said, you have the brain of a combat soldier. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, like what happened? I could not figure it out. And so um, slowly over time, um, you know, things get worse. Um, it's, you know, men really triggered me. I'm actually, I work in the energy industry. Guess what? It's predominantly men. And so oh, yeah. <laughs> my days were so difficult. So just trying to, you know, work and then I'd be triggered and go home and, and you know, calling in for a few days, really struggling. And so it wasn't until December of 2021, I had memories. Um, I had memories come forward. I started having nightmares about a certain um, it was a night I spent with a friend at, um, um, when I was probably about eight or nine years old. It's interesting. I had a lot of trauma, but it's almost as if my brain allowed, um, the least traumatic, which it was still very traumatic to the most traumatic. So you think you were compartmentalizing yeah. it? You know, they, they say like you, you almost can't remember anything all at once. You know, all the therapists and psychologists I've worked with, like you would be so overwhelmed. And right. so it's just like, as, as soon as you feel safe to, remember you do and it, and it took over four years you know after my dad died but there was I had an instance with a neighbor um spent the night and he was a meth addict and um he ended up raping both of us by gunpoint um and what's what kind of plays into that is I went home to tell my mom and I I didn't tell her about the the abuse but I told her he had a gun and um you know so this this is the first memories that come up and she calls a friend over she's freaking out and i remember hearing the, the friend say do you think she's making this up because of daryl my dad and my dad at the time was a hot mess like gone all the time drugs drinking and things and i just remember being devastated like I, so like yes how old yes. were you at that time i'm assuming about eight or nine um oh, wow. you know it's hard to say it was it was pretty young and so I knew in that moment, I don't know if I'd remembered the things that we'll talk to in, in a minute when I was about six years old from my dad at the time. But I think that was such a pivotal moment in my life because it was this message of nobody's going to believe you um, if you say anything. And so I kind of nursed my wounds and took care of myself. Um, and um, what's interesting is he went to jail very soon after for meth and, um, and gun charges and nobody thought to think and we were never allowed over there again so they were just that was just the the rule like not going over there again but nobody discussed like what i had said happened just the gun i just said he had a, he held a gun to us hmm. and um and so uh, my mom you gotta remember she is like in survival mode at this time like she was abused my dad's abused this is the 80s where um you know, the church is telling her to stay, don't leave. Her parents are like, you made your bed, you lie in it. I mean, my mom was just struggling big time and, and no help and nobody. And so, I, you know, a lot of people are like, where were your mom? Where was your mom in all of this? But she, you, I mean, you think about, I had an abused woman that was in survival mode taking care of me. And so, um, 
so that kind of sent that message. And so um, he ended up actually when this man got out of prison, he ended up pistol whipping his wife and she wow. passed away from her injuries. So very violent man. Um, so that was kind of where it all started. And he's the one that I started having nightmares with. I actually even told my business partner, I'm like, it's so weird. I keep having nightmares about this man. It's, and, and he, you know, we, we had these conversations about him because it was really disturbing. And I was like, if anything happened, I would remember, right? Because I, yeah. I remember him being in the doorway and the nightmare was just, I'd wake up very afraid. And, and then when the memories started coming forward, I'm like, I had no idea that, I assumed you would remember the trauma, but that's actually not how our brain works. Um, we protect ourselves um, when it's pretty serious. And, and there's a lot of reasons that, you know, people repress. Um, and, and so then after that, I started having, it was like kind of slow memories coming out, but I kept having the plots episodes. And I was like, oh my God, like, I, I felt so hopeless because when that memory came out, I was like, that's great. This is it. This is why I'm sick and I'm having all these issues. And so I continue to get sicker. And so at that point, I decided to check into an inpatient trauma treatment program because I thought maybe I just need more help to process this. Um, at this time, thankfully, I had and I still have an amazing therapist, Marnie Kase. She like I just feel like she was sent to me from above because she has she's just incredible and so she was helping me work through this but i thought i need i need a lot of help here and so they were kind of booked out i was going to check into the sanctuary at sedona and um as i'm waiting to go more memories start coming up with other abuse and and one of those memories was of, of my dad sexually exploiting me and so um I was going to see a friend on a plane and it was kind of like it almost the memories hit when my defenses were down, like right as I was about to fall asleep. Um, but I remember being held down and screaming and um, just begging, begging my dad for help. And so I start connecting dots and he had a friend that owned a business in Oklahoma City. And, and this was kind of the hub of where everything happened. And then this friend had two businesses that were definitely cash-based businesses for money laundering. And so then I'm starting to connect the dots and I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, they were involved in sexual exploitation of children. Um, and, and so I was just like, so thankful I'm going to this trauma treatment center because I was having the hardest time, you know, dealing with all of this. Um, and then um, as I was driving, I, I just got a new puppy right before that and Abby, and I'm going to be checked in for 30 days to an inpatient trauma treatment program. Um, I needed somebody to watch her because I was so afraid to leave her and my, my dogs um, or my, my kids and my dogs for 30 days. I've never been gone that long from them. Um, mm -hmm. So decided my mom said that she would keep Evie. So um, it was actually physically driving to Oklahoma. Um, ugh. Sorry. Just hang in there. Um, so I'm driving, and that's when memories came back of, um, I saw my dad with, he had two knives, and there was a woman on the table, and she had brown hair and high cheekbones, and I remember her profile very well. And it was like, I knew she was Native American, like immediately, like this, she had this Native American profile. And he was almost, it was like he had two knives, it was almost like he was, he was cutting into her. Um, and so 
I am driving to Oklahoma. I have just me, my two kids and my puppy actually pulled over to a gas station because I was in a complete full on panic at this point. And I texted my friend Sanjay. I'm like, oh my God, Sanjay, he killed somebody. Like, I was just like, I mean, I just, I don't even have the words to describe. Like, as these memories are coming back, I'm like, oh my God, he killed somebody. I can't imagine. And so, you know, Sanjay's like, talking to me, you know, off the ledge. I'm in this, like, you know, Bucky's bathroom, um, trying to pull it together for my kids. And so get in the car, and as I'm driving, you know, more things come up along the way. Um, and um, I get to my mom's house, and I was like, I can't. Like, I, I can't. I didn't want to tell my mom because um, she's already feeling like she's already struggling with everything, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, so kind of just went on and I, I was laying in bed that night at her house. I have, you know, we're in this tiny full size bed at my mom's house with a kid on each side. And I Googled, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like native American knife dismemberment. Um, Cause in my mind, I'm like, why would I have never heard of this? It seemed like such a gruesome, like my memories were so gruesome right. that I'm like, how would I not have ever heard of this? And so I Googled and then there it was, I pull up, um, this Oklahoma, the unsolved murders, Oklahoma city butcher webpage. And I'm reading through and I'm just like, Oh my God. Like that moment was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so painful. Um, and I remembered we were in a warehouse, um, and, um, my dad worked at the Wonder Bread plant and I was like, I think we were in the Wonder Bread plant. And I looked it up and the Wonder Bread plant shut down in February 1986 and uh, Marcia Tina Sanders was murdered in March of 1986. So I think my dad knew the ins and outs of the building. It was empty at this point, And I believe that's where we were when he dismembered her. Um, he also like, you know, he, I think, he cut my hair too. and. And, and during this dismemberment, he was very, uh, it was like he was projecting anger at me, but taking it out on her. Um, hmm. And so there was these moments of rage, and then he'd be calm, and then rage. And, you know, everything's very fragmented, to be honest with you. Like, I focused on my shoes a lot. Um, but, um, yeah, so... I don't want to get too much into that because it gets pretty graphic. But, I, I get um, it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Let's, just, let's just move on then. Yes. How old were you at that time? Uh, um, sorry. Whew, I was six years old. Okay. Um, and so um, after that, I think there was still some more sexual exploitation going on. Now, I I was the only one there when he dismembered her, and she was she was dead when I saw him pull her out of the truck. Um and so it was like after it was probably about six months ago, I remembered that my brother got a tattoo after my dad died and it's actually a skull on his leg and it's a knife through the skull. And it's actually one of my dad's knives that he had taken to the tattoo parlor to put it, you know, to have tattooed into the skull. Yeah. And, you know, thinking like putting puzzle pieces together, I think my brother may have saw maybe he maybe saw the murder and I saw the dismemberment. I'm not sure. My dad completely treated us differently. Like my brother was like, you know, my dad hated women. We were worthless trash. And then I think my brother was, he was trying to groom into like powerful man. So I often wonder like what, you know, what's going on there. Um, 
I tried to talk to my brother like when my memories came out and he um, wants nothing to do with it and actually um, cut me off when I went, you know, when I came out with my video and asked him for the knives for the police. Um, hmm. And I think, you know, in the beginning I was very hurt because I thought this is, this felt very hurtful. Like he could really help me here, but now I realize it's like a protection mechanism, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is, and so, and he, you know, he's an executive at this company in Oklahoma city. That's, you know, very large company. And so, you know, having to deal with the serial killer dad is just, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't align. Right. And so right. I realize it's a protection mechanism. So I think he, you know, I do think my brother saw something, obviously you don't get that tattoo without seeing something because, um, you know, our subconscious it controls 95% of our thoughts, thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and for instance, I was a photographer for many years because, um, I think it was my brain's way of trying to make photography a good thing. Um, and I actually shut down my business when my dad died, but, um, moving on to, sorry, that was a little side note to what you said, but, um, I was about six years old at the time after that. Um, I, you know, everybody's asked me about the gap in, in the murders. And so, um, well, I do think, let's oh, talk sorry, about that. Let me just ask you this right here. Now, Kathy Lynn Shackelford, she was found yes. in, uh, April 1st of 76, 1976. Yes. yes. Where was your dad during that time? Oklahoma city. Um, him and my mom lived south side of Oklahoma city. He worked, he worked in the Wonder Bread plant at that time. Okay. Yeah. What I mean was, uh, what was he doing during that time? Was he just working at the Wonder Bread plant? Did he have any other things he was doing that you've heard of? No, um, my, I mean, yeah, no. I mean, he was involved with this man, the other man that was um, involved in sex. I'm going to call him John for the sake of this podcast. Okay. Um, yeah, he met him at some point during that time. Um, and my brother was born in January of 1978. So what would that be like? You know, that was before my brother was born, Kathy Lynn Shackelford. Yeah, but yeah, two years. I, my mom still has records of things going on with my dad. And, and around this time, um, you know, he's threatening to kill her. He's not coming home for days at a time. I don't remember what year it was, but she even had records where he came home without his clothes and said he lost his clothes and billfold. Um, he was a... I mean, I'm talking a mess. So my mom never knew when he was going to come home. He would be out drinking. He was missing work all the time. He was just a mess. And she would never really know what version of him was going to come home either, right? Exactly. Right. Yes. Yes. Becky, yeah. was he ever arrested for abuse or or anything like that or yep. drugs? Um, he, he was arrested for assault on my mom. I know at least one time. Um multiple duis i don't i could have lost count like i know there were multiple duis yeah. um don't think he was ever caught for drugs but multiple duis hmm. yeah so uh arlie bell killian she was mm -hmm. she was found in april of 1979 yeah which we're, is uh three years yeah it's just three years later what was your mm -hmm. dad doing between kathy lynn shackleford and arlie bell killian um was he still at the Wonder Bread plant? Was he working anywhere else? Uh, what was he doing then? He eventually started working at, I think it started Western Electric, uh, Western Electric at um, Reno and uh, Council, very close to where Karina was found. Um, 
which later was AT&T and then later Lucent Technologies. I, we don't remember the exact year he went from Wonder Bread to there. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So he worked nights, I believe, both places. I know he worked nights for sure at um, Western Electric. And so my brother was born right, I guess, before Arlie Bell. And then I was born five months after Arlie Bell Killian. Um, I was told, I never researched serial killers very often, but... I think sometimes they're triggered when there's children or the wife gets pregnant. It's almost like they're jealous of the attention from the baby. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Did I read somewhere or did I just dream it that your dad was in the military at one time? He was. Um, okay. That's where him and my mom met in Colorado Springs. And he was actually a, he worked as a chef or butcher for, um, yeah, I don't. I think it was the. I think he was at at the Air Force Base okay. in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I'd read that. Right. Yeah, I knew yeah. he was a chef. I was like, mm. yeah. Knife yeah. Yes. So he and he collected knives. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Okay. Multiple. He loved case knives. That was his um, brand of choice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple. So. Yeah. yeah. So, what was the the big gap between Arlie Bell Killian and Tina Marsha Sanders? It was like a seven year gap between these two ladies. Yeah, it was. Um, Eighty six. Yeah. What What was your dad during this time? This was a big span right here. Yeah. Or do you think other stuffs going on? And this is only three they found. You know, I often wonder if he was. I mean, because he traveled some. Like, I wonder if there was other cases elsewhere during this time, but. Really, you know, I was born, and um, I don't know if him, because he exploited me very young, and um, and I want to say, like, there was never abuse. My dad had several opportunities to abuse me when it was just me and him. Um, I don't have any memories of him doing that, so the sexual exploitation felt like a punishment of some sort, if that makes sense. So it was either for money or, like, to torture me, because you know, like project hatred on me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there was a gap there because he satisfied his sick needs in other ways, including um, on me, or um, or if there was just happened to be a large gap. But he was, during this time, the drugs, drinking, gambling increased. At some point, I think it was around 19, I want to say it was 12, it was between 10 and 12, we actually lost our house um, and we lost everything, parents, they filed bankruptcy, um, and we had to move to little rent house after after that. So that was a tough time period. Mm-hmm. So your dad was working at the Wonder Red plant. Then he went to you said Western Electric. Western Electric is that right? Yep. Hmm. And the Wonder Bread plant did it had cut, it shut down or something? And you said it was part of a warehouse that probably some or stuff possibly. was going possible stuff going on there. Yeah, it was in downtown Oklahoma City, and and Kathy, Arlie, and Marsha were there. You know, he left body parts in multiple different places, um, but all of them were found within a mile and a half of the Wonder Bread plant, so I think he just knew that area really well from working there, Um, and he worked nights. Um, And then Western Electric, he was actually there for until he was laid off, I want to say around 2002 so he was there for a really long time yeah what about his sex trafficking um you know you're trying to get his photograph out there and trying to get people aware of what your dad looks like 
Yeah. Did you ever see any thing like that going on when you were young? Yeah, it's the, so his friend, um, which I think it's important to note that he, I'm calling him John because, um, so he actually passed away in, I want to say November of 2021. So literally right before my memories came out, um, unfortunately. So he, but his brother is still alive and they both owned the three businesses. So, you know, I remember being in, and this business and was near where Karina was found. It was a business that would attract children and teens. I will say that and young adults. Um, and I remember them developing photos in there, which, um, you know, had to do with the sexual exploitation of children. And, um, and then also I had a family member tell me they were at my dad's house. This was in 2003. Um, helping with some cute computer things and these pictures started downloading when they were helping him and it was a girl like in her 20s um, early 20s and she was in her bra and panties and my family member like was like what is this daryl and um he said oh well that's john's camera which john is the one that had the the business with the hub and right. and that's his girlfriend and he's putting her up in an apartment yeah. but what's really odd about that is both john and my dad were in their 50s john was married and I don't know why John would need to borrow my dad's camera because John was very wealthy. So, so, so that I'm thinking that had to have been some sort of sex trafficking right there. Um, and then I actually had a girl comment on my video. She recognized my dad. He's, he was one of her, she said customers, but he was one of her abusers. Um, and he, she said he saw, she saw him often at a sex trafficking trap house. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I feel very confident he was involved in sex trafficking. Um, we know he was involved in sexual exploitation of children and John was involved in that. So it, it doesn't feel like that much of a stretch to think they were involved in sex trafficking as well. And maybe even a stretch to be the killer of Kathy Lynn Shackelford, Arlie Bell Killian and Tina Marsha Sanders. Yeah. I, so I, so I know my dad killed Marsha Tina Sanders. And so I know her name's Tina Marsha Sanders. Oh, a lot of times, but I actually found her driver's license and um, it's Mar Marcia was her first name. I see it often as Tina's her first name, but um, it's really sad because you see they, most people show her mugshot, um, which she was arrested and, and really what she needed was help. She was a victim and it's sad that she was arrested. But if you look at her driver's lessons, um, just really beautiful girl. And you see in her mugshot that she was just broken. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I know he killed Marsha and 100%. I saw it. Um, I live with that for the rest. I'll live with that for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Now I'm told that's tied to Arlie and Kathy. I do believe he killed Karina because he did live a mile and a half from where she was found. Um, I used to think he acted alone with Karina, but I'm starting to question that lately. Um, I know we acted alone with when I saw what I saw with Marsha, but um, um, starting to question some things lately with Karina. Right. Well, plus he would be way older with Karina, right? Yes. Yes. I, so, you know, he was addicted to tramadol. I know that they found that in the system. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking somebody drugged her somehow, um, and then that would make it easy. Um, so right. I feel like my dad did drug her, and that's what happened. <clears throat> right, right. So you said before, you know, you thought maybe you could just take all the stuff you got and take it to the police. So they haven't said anything? 
Yeah, that was really interesting because when all this came up, I thought I was very naive. I thought, um, you know, I did want to be the face of my dad was a serial killer, honestly. Um, I was going to change my name and, and kind of just like, I wanted to make sure to bring the family's closure. I couldn't not do that. And so I thought, I'm just going to take this to the police and they're going to do their thing. And then, you know, make sure he, you know, investigate whether he was involved with Karina's or not. And, um, you know, I can turn over everything. I'll give him the knives and then I just go on with my life. Right. Um, I couldn't even get the Oklahoma city police to call me back for weeks and weeks. Um, and it wasn't until, um, so finally that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to make a video because in my video, there's just so much, I know it's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but there's like, if you hear like, you know, how my story played out and like all the things, um, about my dad, um, he, it does, it, it feels very, and you read the, the autopsy reports of Kathy, Arlie and Marsha and Karina, it just, it fits. And so, um, I actually booked a ticket to Oklahoma city. I'm like, I'm going to go up there. And, and cause I had these knives in my house that, um, I didn't want in my house. I'm like, I know what they were used for. And so, um, I booked a ticket. I was going to go tell him everything. And, um, finally I got a hold of, I found out that OSBI is over Karina and Oklahoma city police is over the, you know, Kathy, Arlie and Marsha. And so OSBI, Megan finally called me back. She took down a few things and, and she said, um, you know, I told her, I was like, I'm going to come in. She's like, I'm not really going to be here. And I was like, do you want the knives? And she's kind of like, not really, not yet. I mean, there was just like no, you know, nothing. And, and I told her too, I was like, my brother has a ton of knives, like way more than me. Um, and so, because I have two girls and a boy and my brother had three boys and I, so my dad gave them a lot more knives. I wasn't interested in them anyways. Um, so, and I told her, I was like, I don't, you know, I really feel like you need to get these knives from him too, just, you know, to be safe. And, and at the same time, it's a little frustrating too, because John, the guy that I feel like was involved in sex trafficking had, had just died, you know, four or five months before that. Um, this has been a year now since I tried to come forward, um, over a year. And I feel like there could have been a lot of information missed, like his, his camera, his, you know, his, computer his cell phone but so really they were just i canceled my ticket to oklahoma city and i was like okay well um i just gave you know i thought maybe they'll just do their you know do what they're supposed to do didn't really hear anything um couldn't get oklahoma city police to call me back because she told me to call them about the other three and so finally i was like i'm gonna make a video because maybe if i like lay it out and on the video they'll they'll, they'll, um, they'll understand. And so then I called and said, Hey, there's this video. Can you go watch it? And still no call back. And so, um, I finally called as a chief Gorley, Oklahoma city chief Gorley. And I was so mad at this point. Cause I was like, I just wanted this off my chest and right. to move on. And I kind of just left this message, like angry message. Um, finally I get a call from Oklahoma city police department and the I don't remember what his name was. I have it written down, documented somewhere, but he was so rude. Um, it was not a good experience. And so, you know, I say, you know, I'm like, hello, this is Becky. And he, you know, he says, yeah, I'm calling you back. Um, how can I help you? Um, and so I was trying to help him, but he was just like, okay, what did, you know, what do you want to tell us? I mean, it was just, he was dismissive and cold and, as soon as I hung up with him, I was like, they're not going to do anything. And that's when I started researching, um, missing and murdered indigenous women. Mm -hmm. And, 
and you know there's a movement because it is it, you know they're murdered mis, um, indigenous women are murdered at a rate 10 times the national average and and we don't hear about them and i think you know there's a lack of law enforcement action a lot of the times and then the media doesn't report them in fact kathy lynn shackleford it was first reported that she was a white woman and so i think she made the front page of the newspaper um but as soon as blood tests confirmed she was a Native American woman, woman, nobody talked about it ever again. It was dropped. It was crazy. Completely yeah. dropped. And so, you know, I don't know that they they gave that the time and energy at the time. And, and I was actually told by one of um, another, because I called and complained again after um, this one guy I had. I called Chief Gorley again. And so then I had the, that was um, Lieutenant Breton called me. I guess he's like um, manager of cold cases. And he said, you know, we really don't have any any evidence from um, the Oklahoma City Butcher cases. And I said, you guys kept no evidence from like one of the only serial killer cases in Oklahoma City. And um, he backtracked just a little bit or he said, well, you know, we might have some blood or something. But he's like, we really don't have much. You could just tell they were just not interested. Right. It was just. Just trying to blow you um, I don't think anyone's really looking. Sadly, the more I look, um, anyone's looking for them. I read that Marsha has never even been claimed. Sadly, um, all wow. these years, and nobody ever claimed her. I did have Arlie's cousin reach out to me after seeing my video, um, and she said Arlie had a really, really rough life, um, and so. I was going to go see if I could find Kathy Lynn Shackelford's um, family as well, but so far I haven't been able to find anything. Um, but that was this the kind of the, the eye-opening of there's a lot of, there's a lack of response from law enforcement for Indigenous women, and mm. and I didn't know that until I started researching. So Why do you think your dad was uh, warning these uh, Native American women? What was his connection to these this type of victim so his his grandma was native american i don't know if she was half or um you know full native american on his dad's side um his dad's mom so she was abusive and then my dad both my dad's parents were abusive um and i i know my dad was alone at <clears throat> excuse me he was living alone at 14 completely um alone um, at 14 years old and worked, but, um, his mom was abusive and then his dad was abusive. Who was, you know, I think a quarter native American and then grandma was abusive, who mm. was half or full. And so I do think if, if you look at Kathy, so to me, I don't think my dad knew Kathy was native American. If you look at her picture, I don't think you could tell. Um, and so Arlie and Marsha, I feel like you, you know, he knew, um, Kathy, not so much. And so I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, it's, it couldn't be Karina because he, you know, he targeted native American women, but, um, I really don't think he knew when he murdered Kathy that she was native American. Mm -hmm. So when he got so, to, when it got to Karina, if he was Karina's killer, how old would he have been at that time? I think we talked about that, but what would his age have been in, uh, 2011, 2011? He would have been, he was born in 1949 um, in June. So, um, what would that be? I'm trying to do math on my 62? 62. Is, am I doing that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And in my video, I posted 
pictures of him at that time, and I found a video of um, him very close to that date. Uh, it was actually my son's birthday was August 30th, and we'd had a birthday party. I found home video of that time. Because I was thinking back, like, what happened around that time? What could have triggered him? He wasn't doing well. Um, and I knew he wasn't doing well since he got laid off at Lucent. There was, like, this this slow tank downhill. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if – I was wondering if, like, maybe my son's birthday triggered him. I don't know. Um, I thought about that. Plus, he have a lot, of, a lot more time on his hands if he's not working at all. Yeah, and he – I think he was angry a lot, too, because he – he lost his job. He started struggling financially because um, there was this period. I want to say it was around ninety four or like ninety to two thousand that he was doing really well. He mm-hmm. lost weight. He was exercising. His job was going well. He was sober. He was dating. Um, so I wonder if that has to do with the gap too. And and I was telling Donnie too. I found some. He did start driving a truck after it was laid off, and I found some. Um, murders along his truck route. Um, at, at some point, they weren't as gruesome as these murders. I believe that women were either strangled or stabbed. I read two different stories, but there's not a lot of information about it. So I also wondered, could there be other people? I'm not. I'm not sure. Possible. Very possible. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when Karina was killed, we talked about this off the air a little bit before we got started. We were discussing this. What is the the authorities telling you about Karina's case, um, you know, supposedly picked up there at the casino. What are they telling you? Or not not telling you. Yeah. Not telling you, not telling all of us. Um, so I really dug into her case for a lot of reasons because, um, one, it felt really disturbing how Bethany city police handled it. And also, um, I knew my dad's friend, um, John had ties to the Bethany Police Department. M- my dad used to joke about like he had his own little mafia or, you know, he, he would say things like kind of bragging about how John was very, you know, could kind of get away with things. And so, you know, if you, um, I kind of want to talk about Bethany City Police and then it kind of ties into the OSBI. But, you know, if you start reading on them, they had the, actually they had the, the case removed from them. And what's interesting is, Two of the Bethany police officers, I think it was Jinx and Warfield, were fired um, after OSBI took over. Yeah, and what's interesting is they were fired, um, and then they said it had nothing to do with the cases, um, with Karina's case. But what I thought was interesting was they didn't find out. It was OSBI that discovered that they were stealing stuff, and it wasn't until they, they didn't discover that until they came in to take over for Karina's case. So I'm wondering, like, if, if they didn't do anything to Karina's evidence, then how come it OSBI figured that out when they took Karina's case over? I thought that was interesting. And um, at the same time, it was very odd how, you know, they were both fired. There was a judge that said um, that he should be charged. And then all of a sudden, um, and even the judge said there was like a lack of, um, like, there was a lack of accountability basically within the evidence room. Like these guys could kind of go in and out as if they, you know, as they wanted, it seems. And all of a sudden these two guys were reinstated with back pay and there was not another, there was not another article about it. I have no clue what happened. Yeah, that was crazy. I thought that was was really weird. It was like you fired them and you're like, eh, come on back. We got some money for you. Don't worry about it. It's all Yeah, it makes you wonder. You know, especially when the one guy, you know, was definitely paying for um, stealing stuff out of the evidence room. 
So, I'm, I mean, what the hell? Yes. And then he immediately retired, which I thought was odd. Right, um, yeah. Oh, thanks for the money. I'll see you. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what so, he did. He just come back and paid him off and then let him retire. Yep, yep. And it just, that didn't sit right with me. And then, you know, going back to, um, originally there were two guys, Jimmy Macy and, um, what is it, Luis Ruiz? Luis Ruiz. Yep. Ruiz, yeah. Okay, thank you. So what's interesting is um, that Bethany City Police um, arrested them based on as Tia and Michelle, which they gave conflicting accounts. Um, and so Tia eventually actually recanted her story altogether and admitted that she didn't see a video of Karina, but just heard of it. Right. And then also Jimmy Macy recently, I think when they did the last documentary, he's passed two lie detector tests with flying colors, but... At the time, you know, police claimed that Macy wrote letters to other inmates that confessed he murdered Karina, yet they never showed these letters. And then, um, so I feel like there was a lot of corruption going on here. And so, um, like, I know that Luis, he ended up settling a, a lawsuit with for several um, civil rights violations, and, and they were trying to throw him under the bus for it, and he was in jail at the time. Like, yes. that blew my mind, like... He couldn't have even murdered her because he was in jail at the time of her murder. And so I don't understand, you know, he, they accused police of altering reports. And I feel like there was a lot of, a lot of things going on there, a lot of corruption. And so that made me wonder, like, if my, I mean, this is, you know, I'm thinking through everything. If my dad had ties, you know, this guy was in sex trafficking. If they knew people in the police department, I can't, like, what the hell was going on behind the scenes? I have no idea. Right. Um, just things don't feel right. And so, um, so then OSBI takes over and I still feel like they've been trying to nail Jimmy and, um, for the murder. And so, like I said, he passed two, two, two lie detector tests with flying colors. But what's interesting is, um, I couldn't let go of the surveillance video. I was like, why would they not release a surveillance video? Yeah. We're talking That's about just, it at the casino, right? Yes, 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 yes. The one that said the red truck yes. and the sleeve, sleeve tattoo. Now we're talking. So that really bothered me because I'm like, every, you know, all these cases, that's what you do is you release a surveillance video. And yeah. so um, I kept digging into this. And, and then I talked to um, a reporter that has been investigating this for several years. And she said, um, she said that she doesn't think there's a surveillance video. They've been trying to, like, you know, get a hold of it for several years. And um, actually, um, one of my last videos, um, Karina's aunt, who has been so sweet and supportive um, on my on the comments, but just lovely family. But she said, because um, I touched on that in the video, and she commented that she was in a, a meeting with her sister, several OSBI agents, and she asked them, you know, is there a surveillance video? And they said no. This is crazy. So, yeah, uh, and I actually just went to OSB, OSBI site last night, and it still says surveillance video, red truck, sleeve tattoos. Um, so what is going on there? Like, why is OSBI, why did they say that, you know? Not really lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's what's interesting, too, is because Megan kind of just dropped me. Um, she just... Um, you know, I would text her a few things I would think of here and there, and then eventually didn't really hear from her. And I ended up asking, um, you know, one of the reporters I've been texting a little bit about, and she said, well, I think they're looking for a specific knife that killed Karina. And 
and my thoughts are like they didn't even look at all the knives that my dad had they, they haven't seen what my brother has so right. that makes zero sense and then at the same time i was told that my dad doesn't meet the the profile that they've built for um the killer and i'm like well you've had this profile for how many years now and it's not working so right all you do is we, keep giving the same guy a lot of tech tips yes yeah yeah and so i I'm, I'm really perplexed as what's going on with those i don't understand i know it's so, been 20 plus years but i wonder if anybody at the casino could tell you if they had a damn video that night that's actually a good question um I don't know, and and my dad carried a Nike, and I'm sorry, Nike duffel bag to the gym. Um, he went to Pacer Gym right there off Northwest Expressway, and I was like, would they still have surveillance video for that? Because they could see, you know, when he had it, and maybe when he, you know, didn't anymore. Yeah, I've thought of several up. things. Yeah, good idea. That's good. Yeah, thing. and and something else that stuck in my mind was we moved houses in like July of 2010. Um, and my dad helped us move. And, and you know those big saran wrap rolls that you use to move? Yes, and like yeah. you wrap furniture in? We had a big roll left. And I remember my dad asking if he could take it. And I, I remember this because at the time I was like, like, I knew he wasn't moving. I thought it was like, what are you going to do with a big old saran wrap roll? And, and I actually asked him, I was like, you plan on moving? Like, what's going on? And, um, you know, he came up with like, oh, I can use it when other people move. So hmm. I know Karina was wrap i don't know if it was like regular saran wrap or it was like the moving wrap but um you know lot, these yeah. things yeah yeah so but, but then it hadn't been too long since karina's death 2011 i mean yeah they could uh, pull some dna off of something you know the the bags and the saran wraps surely they could got some kind of forensics off of that don't That's you think I, I have not read that they found dna anywhere no they didn't so i don't think nothing. they yeah, I don't think they have DNA. Hmm. So I don't know if, um, like, my dad was, like, super careful. Um, and so, and and I thought, too, like, she, um, you know, she was missed, like, she was last seen or, you know, known account, like, from her family. She posted on September 28th, which is my birthday. And also my dad basically drank himself to de death on September 27, 2017, which I kind of feel like is maybe he had some guilt for what he did. Um, and, and it was after, um, it was 2012 that he really started going down downhill, like 2012, 2013. I don't know if like, you know, Karina started something up and he, I mean, God, I hope he felt guilty. And he was a, a mess and he actually got in a car accident at the Taco Bell. He drove there drunk for some reason. And he got in a car wreck at that Taco Bell that Karina was last seen at, which wow. I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and he basically drank himself to death. So, you know, I wonder too, like if, you know, him and John are running a sex trafficking ring. I know they're throwing other names around Kenny Rogers. Every, were they under them or did my dad act alone? I just so many questions about that. So. Wow. But the authorities aren't telling you anything at all. No. Uh, they they said my dad like OSBI said we don't need anything we don't want your knives um, we're not investigating your dad and then Oklahoma yeah Oklahoma City Police have just quit calling me back. When was the last time you heard from them? Um, OSBI. Yeah. Oh gosh, months, months. Crazy. Yep. I ended up texting her when I remembered my brother's tattoo because I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, that was just a big revelation of, um, you know, for me, 
because you don't, so, you know, you have this executive and this strange tattoo that came out after my dad died. I'm like, um, so I was wondering if the knife that was in the skull there could help them. I don't know. Um, and, and really she, I think that when she just, after that, she just, she completely, like, I don't even think she responded to my last text. Let me say that. Um, just, we were texting back and forth when I would think of things. And then all of a sudden it was, um, I was told he doesn't meet the profile. So. Yeah. That's crazy. Which is frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Very. And I mean, like, honestly, I really hope it wasn't him. Like, God, I hope to God it wasn't him. I mean, it has been hard enough wrapping my head around the other three. But but everything in your mind and all the, the triggers you're having from your, your childhood and all these things you're remembering, I mean, it's, it's pointing toward him in your yeah, mind. I just, yeah, and he, yeah. He's yeah, and he, he lived a mile and a half away. It was his grocery store. I just, and... I will say he had a used car business at this time. He had a warehouse um, at like Northwest 10th and council. Um, And his friend, John also owned multiple warehouses. I will say that. So I do think there was plenty of places to do it. And what's interesting is him and John had a falling out in around 2013 where, I mean, they were taught, they were like friends, like shenanigans all the time. Right. And then all of a sudden they never spoke to each other again. Hmm. And my dad got very, very paranoid around this time. So I often wonder if was John involved or did they have dirt on each other or did John see something and he threatened to tell and then my dad threatened to tell stuff on John. I don't I thought of all these things, but very bizarre how there was a falling out right after Karina's murder, too, with them. Hmm. One one question. What kind of shape was your dad in during the time Karina was murdered? Was he in fairly decent shape? I mean, was he would he have been able to? physically take kill down her. a 20 year old girl. yeah take her down and kill her i mean would he would he have that stamina so at that time he was actually driving a um he was hauling gas you know one of those those trucks that you yeah. haul the hoses and you fill up the, at the you know yeah yeah so i mean you have to be pretty strong to do that yeah. well, right plus, plus you said he was working at the gym or working out at the gym about the yeah i mean he period. Yeah, he. Yeah. I mean, he is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just. I was sorry. I was just kind of thinking out loud, but I was going well, talking to myself. And like, well, he's sixty-two, so that's not. It's it's older, but it's not that old if you think about it. No. Yeah, and I mean, he had like you can you know I I pulled that video just so people could see like him at that time, but um, yeah, he was hauling. I know those that was hard work to to haul the tanker. You know the tanker. Right, so it's not so, like he's just sitting around doing nothing, you know. So, correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's possible. Very, 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 very so. possible. Especially yeah. Especially if there was a uh, any you know a drug introduction. At all, yeah. You know, if she was drugged and sort of incapacitated, because that was kind of her gig too, you know. Supposedly. Yeah, and she was seen around. You know, he lived there. He had a warehouse there. Was it maybe he met her through sex trafficking? Maybe he just picked her up. I'm. Um, I do feel like he he probably thought. Um, you know, like his other victims, nobody was ever looking for him. Nobody was ever keeping their name in the news and bugging, you know, the police. And so um, I I do think maybe the paranoia came because he, well, you know, with social media in 2011 in the news these days. But it, it I really think that got to him because um, the other three just kind of, you know, withered away. He got away with it very easily. And so I do think maybe that's what the paranoia was from, too, after she she died. Yeah. 
very so yeah and he you know if you read him like her hair was cut their hair was cut he cut my hair um very similar i mean there was like i know with kathy she was found it's almost like maybe the murderer was going to go back to the abandoned house um but arlie and marcia i believe they found parts for a couple weeks he was yeah. really toying with the police it was right. really just dis disturbing um and well, obviously i think with karina's he couldn't it's you know with cameras and you know i mean at that time like i don't think he could do that but um and and I often wonder, like, I don't know how that works because if you, where was he keeping Marsha and Arlie too? Like, I know Marsha had body parts and ice chests. Like, can they tell if Karina, like, how long it was? I don't. I mean, they said they think she died on October 11th, but you know, if somebody preserves that, I don't know right. how that works. But I also, you know, I often wonder, like, yeah, if he kept her or anything like that. So yeah, that is so crazy. Yeah, I just, I feel like if you take him and he lived a mile and a half away and you put all the evidence together and, you know, take a look at how he took at the time, looked at the time, I, um, and at this point, if they called and asked for the knives, I, I wouldn't give it to him. I wouldn't trust him with them. I think a third party place needs to take this on because we have corruption and lies going on that I don't understand. Um, yeah, smart thinking there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so I was like, I would love eventually to have like a, I ended up putting him in a storage unit because I hate, I didn't want him in my house. I, I get so it. Yeah. I they're get sitting it. in a storage unit and I'm just hoping eventually like somehow I can find, um, you know, somebody to test him, whether they have anything, I don't know. Um, but maybe it would bring closure. And I mean, I, I'm with you, the DNA, because I thought maybe they'll swab my, I'm like willing to give them my DNA to see if there's anybody else. But I just like they're, they've just dropped me. So I'm, I don't know. When was the last time he was arrested? Do you know your dad? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting is he got in a wreck at Taco Bell. This was around 2014, I want to say. And he was definitely drunk. But he somehow managed to manipulate the first responders into thinking he had Alzheimer's. So he got away with the it. Heck? Um, yeah. And then I got a call. I want to say it was probably 2015. This is after I moved to Houston, um, and they found him walking around like, in his underwear around the apartment complex, and they thought he had Alzheimer's. Um, and I was like, um, are you sure he's not drunk? And they're like, no, something, you know, so he made them think he had Alzheimer's. I would, you know, pack up my stuff, you know, because the hospital would call me, he's not doing well, and um, I would get there, and he was going through a lot of withdrawals, I think, at the hospital they didn't want to give him stuff he was so mean to the nurses that i would just sit there and apologize like i'm so sorry i'm so i mean it was horrifying like the, his behavior in the hospital at this time um and so this is where he was kind of a clean freak for a long time but he just lost his mind at some point and his his condo was disgusting um mm he would he would drink so much he'd fall down the stairs like one time he fell down the stairs and he lay there for two days like just drunk and and couldn't do anything and i guess eventually he called for a, an ambulance but we actually had to have like a hazmat crew come in and remove oh. the couch because it was soiled like i'm telling you his his last days um he was just like gone and and i cut him off at this time um i was trying to help take care of him but he got very, very abusive. Um, 
you know, verbally, I'm here, like, I'm trying to have things delivered for him from Amazon, like, set him up with Mills, and he was just so hateful that I made the choice at, at one point to say, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna do it anymore, so, and it, he also called me, and um, I was in the hospital for gallbladder issues after I moved to here, which, um, I don't think it was, I was having these weird collapse episodes, and, um, you know, the doctor thought it might be my gallbladder, but anyways, I don't like taking pain pills, because I, um, I think I see what, you know, I've, I saw addiction growing up. And mm. so um, my dad actually called me and was trying to get me to send him my, my pain pills. Um, and I, I was like, no, dad, that's illegal. I'm not doing that. And, and oh, man, the, the things he said were just horrible. So he, he got pretty, pretty dark in mm-hmm. his last days. Becky, what can our listeners do to help you out? What can, what can they do? Oh, gosh, thank you. Um, you know, I think if you could call the Oklahoma City, right now, I've just been asking people to call the Oklahoma City Police Department and tell them you want them to investigate, you know, like, clo- bring closure to the families of um, Kathy, Arlie, and Marsha, and and also ca- call OSBI and ask them, you know, like, I've been, I've been telling people to ask them about the surveillance video, um, and then Definitely. ask them why they why aren't why aren't they releasing it? Where is it? And um, and then also why aren't you investigating Daryl Long? To me, it makes makes no sense. And so, other than that, I don't know. Um, I'm looking for a private investigator and a lawyer to kind of help me pull some things together because mm-hmm. um, this keeps me up at night. I kind of want to just like I would love nothing more than to bring closure and just shut the store and um, you know put energy and focus into my nonprofit. But it's um, it's really hard, like this, just hanging and not being heard and knowing that there's a lot of information there. So, yeah, if anybody knows a private investigator, a lawyer, or can help me out there, that would be great. Um, and really share this podcast with as many yeah. people as possible. Like, I don't know if I can send you guys uh, pictures of my dad, and you guys post that on sure. the, yeah, somewhere. We found a few online and stuff, but yeah, whatever you want to send us, we'll we'll definitely use we'll it. We'll get it out there for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then leave these guys five star podcast reviews for <laughs> being willing to share the story because it has been um really really i thank you so much for reaching out at me and, and trying to help help with this so yeah that'd be great well becky you are one hell of a strong woman i'll tell you that because you. when I, I saw your first video then the the second video the follow-up. the follow-up video it was just like a complete turnaround you really made some leaps and bounds and we're very proud of you and and what you've done and and what you're still doing yes thank you thank you yeah i've had a lot of i you know some some things i won't understand but i've had a lot of great people come into my life and and signs and synchronicities have really just helped me out and a lot of healing at the trauma treatment program which is why i want to give that back to other survivors and so that saved my life so thank you awesome well we're glad we know you and we're glad to have you as a friend and we will do anything we can to help and we'll definitely get this episode out and uh, share it and I get, appreciate get that. It, get it moving. Damn right. Thank you so much. Thank yep. you. I appreciate that. Do you have anything else? Are you good? Yeah. No, I think we've covered a lot. I can't think of anything right okay, now. Okay, but I didn't want to didn't want to leave without offering. You know? Yes. No, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. All well, right, Becky, thanks, guys. We can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Well, Becky, bye-bye. you have a good night. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, Dale. We, again, we want to thank Becky Long for being on the show. And yeah. man, what a trooper! I'm telling you, this lady is one strong lady. Strong, passionate man. She's, she's on a mission, no doubt yeah, about it. No doubt. And we want to thank her again and for 
reaching out to us after we reached out to her. Yeah, we was all doing a bunch of reaching. What was yes, <laughs> but man, yeah, we'll definitely uh, put up all our stuff and you guys reach in and reach in and do some reaching yourself. Yeah, check the show notes and check our social medias on this, and we're going we'll post it all on there. All the connections to be able to contact the Oklahoma City Police and all the phone numbers and everything. Try to get this out and get her some answers and find out some right who do murdered some, these women. Do some posts about it too. Yes. Yeah. All right, Dale. Whew, let's roll. We're going to get out of here. Yeah, man. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and don't do stupid stuff. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack, Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.